Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Mark Allward, an associate at Taylor McCaffrey, the ELA member firm for Manitoba, Canada. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help their local clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and have received updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we are going to be chatting with two of our members in Alberta. Joining us today on the program are Gab Joshi Arnal and Chris Monfett, lawyers at Newman Thompson. Welcome to the program, Gab and Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us, Mark. Yeah, thanks for hosting us today, Mark. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, guys. So today we're going to talk a little bit about vaccination and vaccination policies in the workplace. So let's start with an easy one here. Are all employers in Alberta required to put a mandatory vaccination policy in place? Why don't we start with Chris on this one? I think that's a good place to start, Mark. And the simple answer is that no, employers in Alberta are not required to have a mandatory vaccination policy. The government has largely left the decision to individual employers and what would work best in their different workplaces. Now, the government did introduce a restriction exemptions program or It's basically the vaccine passport. That program did not apply to employees. It just applied to like patrons of different businesses. What it did do, though, is give some employers a little bit of a push and maybe a little bit more confidence in enacting some mandatory vaccination policies. So the question is still left to the individual employer on whether they want to introduce one. You'll see that employers who might be more vulnerable to an outbreak or a COVID outbreak could shut down their business, they're more likely to introduce a mandatory vaccination policy. But there is no legal requirement from the government of Alberta to introduce one. So if there's no legal requirement from the government to introduce a vaccination policy, are there any workplaces where employers have needed to put these policies into place? I can jump in on that one, Mark, just from my experience of having dealt with a few different sectors in the province. You know, again, parroting off of what Chris said, we don't have that general obligation, but there have been some particular workplaces where because of, you know, you can call it the general contractor or the principal contractor putting those rules into place that employers have had to get employees vaccinated. So the two big examples that come to mind in that respect are Alberta Health Services, which is our provincial health entity they have required that contractors that they work with meet certain mandatory vaccination targets by particular dates. Uh, I believe now it's in November is the deadline for full vaccination. And similarly, you've got some oil sands contractors out there like CNRL who are publicly saying that they require vaccination of people to come onto their oil field sites. Again, like Chris mentioned, because there's a higher level of risk in those particular workplaces. And that's where employers have said, we need to manage and mitigate that by implementing these sorts of policies, not just for our employees, but cascading down for people who are doing work for be it our patients or on our site. And when we see these policies being implemented, what do they typically look like? So we've seen a really big mix of different kinds of policies. Really, the limit is your imagination. 
some of the policies can require just the employees who actually have to attend the work site to be vaccinated. Some require all their employees to be vaccinated. Some have the option of presenting a negative test instead of showing proof of vaccination. And others are just strict vaccination requirements where every employee has to have full proof of vaccination to remain employed with that employer. The most common, though, is the vaccine or the test kind of setup where employees who do not comply with the policies, in most cases, are put on an unpaid leave of absence until such time as that they can prove that they have met the conditions of the policy. So that kind of sounds like a challenge that could be seen when implementing one of these policies. What sort of other challenges might employers see when using these vaccination or testing policies? Gab, what are your comments on this? Yeah, there's definitely, Mark, that's one of the challenges that we've seen in terms of selecting whether or not to go with a mandatory vaccine or a vaccine or testing. But in terms of when I think about challenges and the things that are coming across Chris and my desks these days, there's a few kind of general themes that are coming out from that. I see a lot of it being related to the As a result of non-compliance with the policy, people being placed on unpaid leaves or their employment being terminated. I know that the first wave of those kinds of cases are starting to hit our desks, be it as individual grievances in the unionized world or demand letters from lawyers in the non-union wrongful dismissal world. And that's particularly the case where I'm seeing people being terminated or saying they were constructively dismissed and they haven't gotten the severance. It's similar to what we saw kind of early days in the pandemic and with layoffs, with masking, these attempts to seek that additional severance. I've also seen some pieces around implementation of these policies. So how long are you giving people to actually get fully vaccinated? There's a window of time that's generally recognized as being about six weeks for somebody to get their first dose, have their four-week break between those doses, get the second dose, and then have two weeks before they're considered fully immunized. So that's generally the window of time that people are playing in for rollout of policies. But I've seen challenges to if the rollout time was shorter than that. And other than that, you are starting to see some general challenges to mandatory policies, you know, be it human rights, be it people just upset about having to comply with this for personal choice reasons. We've had a couple of noteworthy pieces in the news over the last couple of weeks around that. So some doctors were looking to challenge Alberta Health Services directly. We've also had similar to what played out in Ontario a couple of weeks ago, some individual employees who are threatening action against Alberta Health Services related to their mandatory vaccine mandate. Whether or not anything's going to happen with those, I'm skeptical that they'll lead to any policies being overturned or the like, but that's still sort of a challenge to be unfolding, which I'm sure we'll see unfold in the coming months or weeks. Gab, you mentioned human rights in there. And one thing that I'd like us to elaborate a little bit on is the religious exemption. In Manitoba, we have a place of worship that has been saying they are going to be giving out cards that say that members have a religious exemption to getting vaccinated. It's against their religion. And that would trigger a human rights consideration such that they would be allowed to ignore one of these policies. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what this exemption would look like and a little bit about some of the issues with these sorts of requests? Yeah, and that's a great question, Mark, because I know it's definitely a topic that's keeping all the lawyers in our office pretty busy these days. The real challenge with religious exemption requests is just that the Supreme Court of Canada has really said that employees are entitled to a personal interpretation of their beliefs. So this makes it hard to challenge the legitimacy of a religious request, just because even if leaders from these different faiths have publicly come out and supported vaccine requirements, the individuals are still entitled to their own interpretation. So one difficulty is for employers is determining whether this religious accommodation request or religious exemption is really a religious request or if it's more based on an employee's personal belief. Because an employee's personal belief is not protected by human rights legislation, but if it's a sincerely held religious belief, it can be. The other difficulty with a lot of these religious exemption requests is just based on inaccurate scientific basis for the objection. Some of these letters we're seeing or these exemption requests, they're stating facts that are just not true to support the basis for the religious exemption request. Some other common issues we're seeing is one in particular is that employees are saying that they have a religious objection to the vaccine because the vaccines use fetal cells in the testing and development stage of the vaccine. So employees will use this as a basis for their exemption request. However, there's drugs like Tylenol, Pepto-Bismol, aspirin, Tums, other drugs like these that also use fetal cells in their development and testing. So a common strategy that we've seen employers undertake is to have these employees kind of swear an oath, just attesting to the fact that they don't take these other kind of drugs either. And that just helps test the sincerity of the employee's religious request. And the other one that I think you've alluded to, Mark, is just some of these online religious organizations. There are some websites where people could sign up, join a parish, pay $100 or more, And then that parish will provide a religious exemption for the employee to use with their employer. In most cases, these online religious organizations didn't really exist prior to COVID. And it really appears that the sole purpose for their existence is just to get people out of having to comply with a mandatory vaccination policy. So in this case, employers might actually have to test whether this is truly a religious organization, or they could try to dispute the underlying rationale for the religious exemption request. So then when we're dealing with these religious exemptions, how should an employer process a request like this? What's the best practice there? The question on what the process is, Mark, is a good one, because it's one that I get from a lot of clients. It's a fact pattern they haven't dealt with a lot, even if they're fairly seasoned HR, LR practitioners. So what I've tried to do is situate it and explain it in a way to people that is familiar to them. So talking about it like any other accommodation process you might have for, say, a broken arm. So at a high level, first getting the information, and then once you've got the information, determining whether there is a basis for an accommodation. And then once you figure that out, what's the actual accommodation look like? So that's kind of the high level process. And then breaking it down further, the level of questions and the kinds of questions that you ask will vary from employer to employer. 
Some are a little more aggressive than others in terms of the kinds of questions they ask. I have some clients who, like Chris mentioned earlier, for example, are asking people to swear affidavits around the fact that they don't take a bunch of drugs that involve fetal cell lines. But I've got some who are being a little less interventionist as well. My view personally is that you probably want more information and you do want to test, among other things, the sincerity of that religious belief, the nexus of that religious belief to the vaccine policy that's in place and what's being alleged as the accommodation. Make sure you have enough information as a practitioner to be able to make decisions and informed choices around whether there is a duty that triggers or if you deny it at the end of the day, be able to say that you can stand behind that decision. So switching gears a little bit and into something that we often neglect to consider, are there any differences in terms of how things work in the federal sphere for those federally regulated employers that we have in Canada? So in terms of creating and enforcing a mandatory vaccination policy, there's really not many differences. Federal employees are still governed by human rights legislation. They're still governed by occupational health and safety legislation. Just their framework might be a little bit different than individual provinces and specifically Alberta. However, the federal government has been more willing than provincial government to kind of mandate vaccines for different industries. Just, I think a few months ago, the federal government made it a requirement for all their federal public servants to be vaccinated. I think more recently, they've also required vaccination for air, rail, and marine transportation industries. So it's not a different framework. It's really just that the federal government has been more proactive in mandating that some industries have mandatory vaccination policy. Thanks, Chris. Let's talk a little bit more about the policies themselves. So should a mandatory vaccination policy be a permanent policy that an employer implements? Gab, your thoughts? The answer that I'm giving people right now, Mark, is to not say that it's permanent and to be rather clear, in fact, that it is something that's subject to review. There's a few reasons for that strategically. One is that it helps mitigate some risk that might be out there around constructive dismissal. So if it's a policy that's only going to be in place for a shorter time, it's harder to make the argument that somebody's being constructively dismissed. And similarly, in the union world, it goes to the usual arguments we see around reasonableness of policies. So the idea being that you only need the policy as long as that public health issue is in place. And we don't know at this point that there's a permanent need for a vaccine policy, just because we don't also have certainty on what waves we're going to hit in the pandemic and whether we'll finally be able to move to that point in time where it's treated more endemic kind of like flus and where as a result, employers might back off of the need for mandatory policies. So the best practice that I've heard is you have the policy and the policy is subject to review at specific time intervals. And the intervals are generally based on operations. So, you know, with my post-secondary clients, it will, for instance, be at the start of terms that they'll look at the policy again and say, do we need this? And is the public health situation such that we still need it? So from what I'm understanding, we've been talking a lot today about policies that are impacting employees that have been working somewhere. 
Can employers make a vaccination a condition of hiring an employee at the start of the employment relationship? So simply, yes, employers can make a vaccination policy or compliance with a vaccination policy a condition of hire. It's just like anything else. So the employer has to just be aware of the risks that are out there and just be comfortable with proceeding with those risks. For example, the Human Rights Act still applies to employees who are seeking employment as opposed to employees who are actually employed by an employer. So if an employee is applying for a job but has a valid religious or medical accommodation that they need, the employer is still obligated to accommodate that employee to the point of undue hardship. A refusal to hire an unvaccinated person who has legitimate health or religious accommodation can be a breach of the Human Rights Act. The employers just have to be cognizant of the fact that even though they're not an employee right now, they still have protections under human rights legislation. The most difficult part with making vaccination a condition of hire is really the privacy implications, be it by privacy regulations or legislation around collecting and using this information. If vaccination is going to be a condition of hire, employers have to collect this information prior to actually making a formal offer to an employee. So for larger organizations who might get hundreds of applicants for a job posting, this could create an issue for them. This information should be only collected and used for the purpose of enforcing the policy. The best practice is really to destroy this information once it's no longer needed. And Mark, just jumping off of some of the comments that Chris made, and some of what we've been talking about recently in terms of the risk and how to process some of these things, I think it's important to flag that some employers have put higher risk scenarios, I'll call them in, in terms of how they're processing things like exemptions or dealing with these accommodation scenarios. And I think it's an important conversation that employers need to be having internally and with their own counsel in terms of saying, how do we want to process some of these requests? Do we want to take a harder stance on these things, recognizing that it creates a legal risk, but we want to take a harder stance, for instance, on certain accommodation requests, or how much time are we going to spend on these things? Is it going to be a significant amount of time, in particular, if we have concerns around an inflow of accommodation requests, say, on religious grounds, on medical grounds, whatever have you? So I think it's an important point to raise because I think employers need to be mindful not only of what the legal risk is, but organizationally, how much risk they want to tolerate in these processes. So when we're talking about some of those human rights accommodations, I would like us to talk a little bit about the bona fide occupational requirement and how that can play into these sorts of accommodation requests. So, and to take a step back, Mark, of course, the BFOR or bona fide occupational requirement is towards the end of that whole accommodation process and is where a lot of times the rubber hits the road in terms of maybe there is a duty to accommodate that triggers, but what does the accommodation look like based on that bona fide occupational requirement? I've seen a few versions of accommodations that depend on the workplace and depend on what BFORs are in place. So for example, those workplaces where someone needs to be physically present and is dealing with a high risk scenario, like a congregate care facility, There, the accommodation has been more towards an unpaid leave of absence and 
guaranteeing that person's position. Moving down the risk road where it's a little bit lower risk, you've seen employers offer as accommodations testing, you know, be it on 72-hour intervals or something less or more, where employees are either at their own expense or at the employer's expense going to be paying to have antigen testing, rapid testing, whatever testing is approved by Health Canada. And then I'd say that the third approach is, you know, you don't need to be in the workplace and we can have you doing what it is that you're doing from home operationally. That may also be an accommodation that could arise based on BFORs, but that will really depend on the employer's operation, the position's nature, and whether that is sustainable over any period of time, really. So if an employer is hesitant about putting in a mandatory vaccination policy, what sort of alternatives would they have? It's funny because that question I would have answered very differently a few months ago, which just goes to show how much the legal landscape is shifting in this world. Prior to, I'll call it the faraway time of September 2021, there was a lot of discussion about testing with vaccine exemptions, mask-only policies. I'd say that the general consensus is that those are not going to be adequate in a lot of circumstances or in most circumstances. And that messaging has been made clearer by, among other things, moves made by our government health officials and by a lot of our larger private and public sector employers. But in terms of options, really, the vaccine policies, like Chris said earlier, you can have a what I'll call thou shalt vaccinate policy or a thou shalt vaccinate or in lieu of vaccination test at a frequency to be determined by the policy, generally at the individual's own expense. There's pieces to these policies that are always additions that aren't just about vaccination. So masking, hygiene, you know, frequency of needing to be at the workplace. And I would say that those are, they aren't alternatives. They may have been at one point alternatives, but now I would suggest that they're sort of part of a full suite of policies that most employers are implementing. Have any of these mandatory vaccination policies gone through the litigation process and been upheld by the courts and or possibly a labor arbitrator? So I I think this is the question everyone really wants answered right now. Really, there hasn't been a full court ruling about whether or not mandatory vaccination policies are reasonable. But actually, just yesterday, there was an arbitration ruling that came out that did uphold a mandatory vaccination policy. Now, I don't have access to the decision yet, but once it becomes public, we're definitely going to be very interested in reading that decision. We think it's actually the first decision which addresses the issue. There are past arbitration decisions, though, which concerned kind of nurses needing an influenza vaccine during a flu outbreak. Those kind of policies, which usually required like masking or vaccine back in the day, have been upheld by arbitrators in the past. So we're pretty confident that labor arbitrators are going to uphold this mandatory COVID vaccine as long as the policy is reasonable. So during the start of COVID, most employers introduced kind of COVID policies or procedures or protocols that included like masking, sanitization, not attending work if you're sick. And we've seen arbitrators willing to uphold those kind of policies, even in the face of 
sometimes pretty significant discipline. So at least at our firm, we, we really strongly believe that most mandatory vaccination policies will be upheld. One other issue that's arisen, I think, in the last few weeks here is that we've also seen some unionized employees kind of end around their union and go straight to the courts to try to seek an injunction against their possible termination as a result of a mandatory vaccination policy. In those cases, though, the court, or at least in this one case, the court really found that they didn't have the jurisdiction to grant this injunction because of the kind of Weber analysis where this is really within the jurisdiction of the labor arbitrator and the collective agreement. So we don't have a court decision that really addresses the merits of the mandatory vaccination policy, but we do have one that's basically put this completely in the hands of a labor arbitrator. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Are there any consequences if an employer decides or does not implement a mandatory vaccination policy and then there's an outbreak that happens in the workplace? Like, is there any consideration there on occupational safety and health issues? That's definitely been a talking point, Mark. I know I've had with clients when they're trying to figure out where they go with their policies. And over the course of the last almost two years now, I guess, how aggressively they're going to implement these policies. What I would say from the occupational health and safety side in Alberta is that our occupational health and safety office has said that vaccines are something and vaccination policies are something that employers should look to, to mitigating the risk, but that they aren't required. So back to Chris's point earlier, you're putting the decision in the hand of the employer around whether or not they see there being a need there. And in light of that, if there was an outbreak and if there was an employer who had failed to implement a mandatory vaccination policy, I'm hard pressed to see that there would be significant consequences flowing unless there was a very particular fact pattern where it was so plainly obvious that there needed to be a vaccination policy. If occupational health and safety isn't coming out and saying that it's a need to have, I think it would be pretty hard for them on the other side to then be smacking people on the wrist incredibly hard if they don't do it. Now, that being the case, I still think that in a lot of workplaces, that's where employers are going to end up is to say that we need this policy because we're worried about an outbreak. And one last point that's sort of tangential to that that's worth noting is, you know, people have talked a lot about civil liability for if there's an outbreak. And I know in at least a few of the angry letters that employees have written to employers, that's been one of the topics of discussion is civil liability. If there were ever an issue in a lot of cases, it's going to be covered by your workers' compensation insurance if you're requiring somebody to get vaccinated or if somebody is, for instance, not vaccinated because you don't have a policy and they become ill during the course and scope of their employment, that will generally fall to workers' comp legislation. Or if you don't fall into that workers' comp regime, might be something that falls into your commercial general insurance, which is where I tell employers who are outside of the workers' comp world, they might want to have a conversation with their broker to double check what coverages they have in place. Gab, you mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting a little bit earlier, talking about how 
these policies, these mandatory vaccination policies, the attitudes generally are shifting and they're becoming more and more understood and accepted. So that leads me to my last question. And it stems back to the first question that I asked with respect to the provincial government mandating these vaccine policies. Do you foresee that happening? Chris, let's go to you. So our office does not foresee that happening, at least in Alberta. The Alberta government's been very comfortable kind of allowing industry to lead the way on the mandatory vaccination front. But they've given some supports along the way that have kind of nudged employers to introduce mandatory vaccination policies. One of those examples which we've talked about was that restriction exemptions program, which really gave employers kind of a guide on creating their own policies and really made employers more comfortable instituting their own policies. What we do see happening, and I don't know if it's going to be in a month from now and six months from now, is that it seems likely that there'll be some legislation that's introduced that really helps shield employers who have introduced reasonable vaccination policies from liability for things like constructive dismissal and other employment-related topics. Government of Alberta has actually kind of given us a sneak peek about this in one of their press releases where they said they're considering this type of legislation. So it seems likely that that kind of legislation will be introduced, but we don't think that the Alberta government will go full stop and require mandatory vaccination policies for any of the employers in Alberta. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion on vaccine policies. Thank you so much for your time, Gab and Chris. If you'd like to connect with Gab Joshi Arnell or Chris Monfet, you can find their bios by clicking on their names in the description of this podcast. Please visit www.ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Mark Allward. Thanks for listening.